Our scripture reading will be coming from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us, grow, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in a stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to no, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Tremendous to be back here. And in this particular series of Mark for the last several weeks, the church family here has been camping out in other scriptures as y'all have been prayfully prayerfully engaged with this new season of growth, and uh, I'm so excited about that. But today we re-engage with the Gospel of Mark, which is a profound 16-chapter telling of the story of the power of the Gospel, centering on the person and the work of Jesus. Now, speaking of the power of the Gospel, when I first got here this morning, some friends who know I'm a graduate of the University of North Carolina asked why I was wearing Duke Blue. And I told them that's just the power of the gospel, that this is a, it's a great story we live in as we will see re-engaging with Mark. Now, let me remind you that in Mark's gospel, those of you that have been a part of the series or those of you just joining in or maybe just visiting today, it is a letter of, like I said, 16 chapters. The first eight answer this question, who is this Jesus? Mark, as the editor, has chosen stories and teachings of Jesus that really present Jesus, who has come into the world, in his own terms. That is, how will he self-reveal himself? For how we think about Jesus is the essence of what it means to understand the gospel. That leads us to the last eight chapters of Mark's gospel, which are entirely about why did Jesus come? And the last eight chapters basically center on the last week of Jesus's life, the last week of the season we are in, which is called Lent, leading up to Easter. And so Mark gives us this incredible introduction, inviting us, disturbing us, stretching us to think about who Jesus is. But he is setting all of that up to make sure that we know the main reasons, the main reason Jesus came into this world was to live in our place a life of perfect obedience and to die in our place upon the cross and to be raised three days later. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying this morning, please hear that. Whatever else we will think about Jesus, he has come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that is to be our savior, to earn our relationship with God, to secure it. Well, I bid you now to think about with me in those first eight chapters where Christ's community has already been. In 
wrestling with that question, who is this Jesus, beginning at chapter 2, here are several things we've seen about the scandalous Jesus. Now, let me remind you what that word means. A, a scandal is something that's shocking. It's something that's disturbing. And Jesus is a glorious scandal because he just breaks all the paradigms of who we think God actually is. And he reveals himself. Well, from chapter 2 through our text today, we see, we have seen walking through this scripture that Jesus, this scandalous Savior, has authority over judgment and forgiveness. You remember the scene, the friends who lower their friend through the roof to Jesus. He's paralyzed. But the first thing Jesus does is to forgive him. And that is shocking. It's scandalous to those who ask, even in that part of the Bible, who is this that forgives sins? God alone can forgive sins. Well, that's the point. He is fully engaged in his authority over judgment and forgiveness. He has authority over sickness. He heals that paralytic. And there's been other healings before Mark 2 and afterwards that show us Jesus has power over every kind of illness. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He scandalized the religious community when he said that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man, man for the Sabbath. He enraged scribes and Pharisees because he's positioning himself as the only way we really will have rest. He is the Lord of the history of redemption. We saw in Mark 4 that Jesus is the seed and the guarantee of the promised harvest. In fact, in Mark 4, we saw where the real question in life, the real question posed by Christianity is not what kind of soil are you, but what kind of seed is Jesus? He has guaranteed that God's promised family from every race, tribe, tongue, and people group will come to saving faith in Jesus. We will see this morning, he is the Lord of storms and creation. Uh, Next week, the Lord, the sovereign over demons and evil when he heals the Gadarene demoniac, the Gezerene demoniac. We will finally see in Mark 5 that Jesus is the Lord of death and life when he heals that woman with the 18-year issue of blood. Death for her was death in her community. She was cut off. And then Jesus heals Larius, uh, uh, excuse me, Jairus' 12-year-old little girl and uh, raises her from the dead. So where does that invite us now as we pick up with Mark chapter 4, verse 35? Well, if you've seen on the screen or on your outline, I'm simply titling this reflection, uh, Asleep on the Cushion. Because in these few verses, that's one image that stands out and I think is precisely presented by the Holy Spirit to help us this morning further think about what does it mean to know Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Where have I been wrong about the Christian life? Where have I been wrong about Jesus? So let's lean into the text together, beginning at verse 35 as our brother read it. But here's the first of three affirmations we're going to make walking through this text today. Again, hold on to that theme, asleep on the cushion. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, said to the disciples, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. What a fascinating phrase. The disciples took Jesus with them just as he was. Now, we'll come back to that. 
And other boats were with him. Sometimes when we know this very familiar story, we lose sight of the fact that there's not just one boat. There are several boats crossing in the evening over the Sea of Galilee. Here's the drama, verse 37. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. First, the three affirmations. The disciples were in this storm because they were faithful to Jesus, not because they were foolish. Again, we, we, we know the narrative. This is one of the most well-known stories. In fact, up on the screen, um, it's a painting. Some of you might know this is the only painting that we know in the history of art that Rembrandt painted with a seascape. Sad thing about this painting, in 1990, it was stolen along with 12 other art pieces, and we still don't know where it is. But, but Rembrandt uh, titled this magnificent piece of art, Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. And I, I put it up there because we want a visual of just the, the reality of when we read in the text here, there is a violent storm, then we've got to be thinking through um, would not Jesus have anticipated this storm? What, what's going on? These are seasoned fishermen. And you would know, a lot of you that have been to the Sea of Galilee or love great bodies of water, many times fishing is done at night precisely because it's most likely there's not going to be a storm. That's why many times you'll see boats coming in that have been fishing all night with their nets out. And this is a part of the text that we need to understand. Now, there are foolish people that go into big bodies of water. Darlene and I, a few years back, were in a PCA church on the island of Oahu, and this big siren sounded, and up on the north shore of Oahu, they were announcing the 30 and 50-foot waves have come. And people around the world, foolishly, a bunch of morons show up to get in the water that will crush you. See, there's some people that wade into, there's a hurricane warning down in Destin, not right now, by the way, but they'll say, good, let's get down there and get in the surf. This is not the story here. These these are, listen, these are faithful disciples going into a place that Jesus is taking them. See, sometimes this story is told in vacation Bible schools or even preached as though this is going to be a Bible lesson on how to have a storm-free life. Really, nothing could be further from the truth if we just listen to the text and the story. And that should encourage us. You see, some of us have this thing going. We think if, we, if we're really blessing Jesus, honoring him enough, then we're really not going to have chaos in our lives. Now, wouldn't that be awesome if we didn't have chaos, right? Okay, that's, that's true too. Let's go on. So we see these disciples, and now this is a huge storm. Unlikely, but Jesus is there. Second thing we want to affirm of three. So we read into these verses. Let me read the verses first. Verse 38. But he, Jesus, was in the stern. That's the back part of the boat. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, again, we, we appreciate that. The, the Bible never says, don't be afraid. It says, when I am afraid, I will trust in God. 
And so the scene is very real. Now, I kind of wonder, and we'll only know this in heaven, you know, when, it, when the text tells us they woke him, I wonder if one of the disciples went and said, hey, Jesus, those guys are afraid. Hey, I'm, I'm, I know you've got this one, but would you wake up for them? No, I don't think that what's is going on there. I think they're all very afraid. Seasoned men who understand storms, this is not new to them, but they're in this particular storm, and they know that Jesus is in the boat, and they know some things about Jesus. But notice what they call him. This is about the reach of how they relate to Jesus thus far. Teacher. Now, they've already seen him to be a lot of things. But why do you suppose they call him teacher? They're not going to say, hey, Jesus, wake up and give us a lecture on weather. Meteorological fronts. Would you, would you help us understand? They're not... Now, that's just all they got at this point. And you see, a lot of us in this room are in different stages of really knowing who Jesus is. And that's a good thing, by the way. You know, for those of us just exploring faith that find this a welcoming community, that's a good thing. And and take your time, but know that will be the issue. How do we think about Jesus? Here, they're in as young disciples called into a journey they've signed on for and they They've got a hunch of who Jesus is, but but right now this is all they got. Teacher. And then this next phrase that they will cease asking later. Do you care? The language of oxymoron, that means, you know, when two things don't go together. And here, for, for we who are learning more and more about who Jesus is, we would agree in time. These two things don't go together. Jesus, don't you care? But you know what? That's what it feels like when there's a storm in our life. See, a lot of us know this scripture, know scriptures. And, and when storms come of various varieties, we, 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 we sing, we try to center, we have friends pray. But, you know, there are some stores that are, storms that are overwhelming. And I've got good news for you here today. If, if you're wondering if Jesus cares, you are so welcome here. Because the, the end of the story is not get over that. Jesus is going to call these men in this storm to a different understanding of who he is and what it means to live between his resurrection and return. In fact, let me say this. Please understand this. This will be another one of those things. If you hear nothing else, at least hear this. According to the Bible, this side of heaven, we will not have a storm absent life. Pause. Here's the good news in that. But neither will we ever have a Christ absent day. Now, if I want Christianity to be no storms, please make that happen, Jesus. Then I'm really using Jesus rather than understand, understanding what it means to know him. A lot of us maybe have had this scripture on our refrigerator or a grandmother calligraphy it. Some of you with a big bat may have it tattooed on your back. Here are these verses. Isaiah 42. When, not if. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you when, not if, you walk through fire. You shall not be burned. 
And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This incredible promise is underscoring what Jesus is giving as a gift to these young disciples because they're going to have a lot of storms in front of them, but they will never have a Christ-absent day. I thought of this text praying for us from my own heart. And every time I preach somewhere, including this beloved church that we've walked with together for a lot of years, I know a fresh text has something for me, but I know it also has something for you. And I think for me, as I was meditating, I was taken to that scene in the book of Daniel when Daniel and his friends were taken into exile. Talk about the pillaging of a community, the Babylonian captivity and the destruction of the temple, which God orchestrated for a larger purpose. And you remember a part of that scene is these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And King Nebuchadnezzar is so flabbergasted that they are such good citizens, but they will not bow the knee and worship him as God. And so he fires up the furnace. And remember, he says to them, bow down and worship me or I'll throw you into the furnace. Remember their response? Oh, king. Our God is quite able to put out your fire or to save us from the fire. But if he does not, we will worship him and not you. You see, the wonder of those facing a crisis, a storm, who will say, the issue is not come through for me. Don't you care, God? Put out the fire. Now, again, don't start ramping up your courage as though you can screw something up and be like that. The issue is going to be, where is Jesus in the storm? Where is Jesus in the storm? Better a stormy life with Jesus than a storm-free life without Jesus. I'm not even going to pump for an amen on that because you know what? I don't want you to rush into that. But for some of you, you know, just beginning to explore Christianity, I hope you hear something attractive in that. We're not a bunch of people in denial, at least most of the time anyway. We're invited to say, if there's one place we can process storms and loss and, and, and really live with things that we would have never written into our stories. You know, when some storms are like, storms are like squalls, they come up and they're gone, but some storms are long. This morning after the first service, prayed with a dear charter member of this church who's early in a season of Parkinson's disease, and that's a hard storm. Sleepless nights, pain. I'm so glad we will never know a Christ-absent day. Now, I find it remarkable in the book of Revelation, which we've studied together as a congregation, that the theme of storm functions for people, the people of God going through various difficult seasons. Revelation chapter 4, when John the Apostle has a vision for the young church in the middle of all kinds of hellish storms in Rome as a young church, He's given a vision and he sees a sea of glass before the throne of God. There is no storm in heaven right now. And that's the place from which our sorrows and our joys are mediated. Sea of glass. See, when we're in the middle of some kind of storm, do we see the greater calm sea? And then at the end of the book of Revelation, this hope. Revelation 21.1 
John's describing life in the new heaven and new earth, and he sees the wonders of the life as it will be when Jesus returns. And it is awesome. And then there's this one phrase that can be confusing. John says, and there was no longer any sea. When I first read that as a young Christian, I thought, are you telling me the new earth won't have great waves crashing on the shoreline? He wasn't talking about the absence of aquatic wonder, but in the book of Revelation, the sea is a place of chaos and peril and Leviathan. My brothers and sisters, you will have a stormless forever. And in this journey now, we have a very present Jesus who sleeps on the cushion. Now, what does that even mean? Well, Jesus did not go to sleep on his disciples. You know that phrase? You know, you, you were expecting someone to come through for you. You went to sleep on me. Hey, wake up. Jesus never goes to sleep on the disciples. The disciples did later. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Could you not watch? They fall asleep. But you see, we're not codependent saviors with Jesus. He is completely our savior. And he can sleep in the middle of any storm he sends us because he has our front, our back, our story, the redemption, the whole holy enchilada. Takes us to the last affirmation as we get ready to come to this table. Third thing. First thing we said, the disciples were in this storm because they were faithful, not foolish. Secondly, Jesus didn't go to sleep on the disciples. Jesus went to sleep on a cushion. Thirdly, lastly, what do we fear more than we fear the Lord? Look at verse 39. And he awoke. Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now, listen to this, verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Well, now, that's a that's a question that's not meant to be taken as shame. Someone would say those words to you. Someone has said those words to you, and it was to shame you. Jesus bore your shame, my shame upon the cross. Jesus will never shame those he queries. In fact, you remember with me the first question God asks in the Bible, he asks it to his rebel son and daughter, Adam and Eve. And it's this, where are you? And it wasn't because God could not see behind kryptonite trees. He is a pursuing God. Adam and Eve had no clue where they were running. They don't know what this God will do with guilt and shame. They found out he covers us because we cannot cover ourselves. Jesus woke up. Why are you why are you so why are you filled with fear? Have you still no faith? This is so precious. Faith in this story, faith in the whole Bible is not faith in Jesus to get rid of the storm, but faith in Jesus, period. Storm, no storm. Cancer, no cancer. Notice their response. We finish with this. And then, verse 41, they who were afraid of the storm, verse 41, and they were filled with great fear. Now, not of the storm, 
Because listen to the words. They said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Not yippee yay yay kayo, the storm's gone. But who is this who can send storms, who can sleep through storms, who can stop storms? I finish with this. If, if you've never seen this painting, I, I ask you to go home and Google it because you can blow it up and there's some high res. Can, can we turn these lights down just a little bit maybe? All right. So here's what you cannot see. You remember Rembrandt's painting of the prod, return of the prodigal? Remember where Rembrandt painted himself? He is the son that's pulled into the breast of the father. Well, Rembrandt also painted himself into this painting. But here's what he did. You can't see it real good, but he's right here. And you got guys over here. Here's Jesus right here. And Jesus is sitting up. His hair is so combed and he looks just completely together. And you got these guys up here wondering, what in the world's going on here? And these guys, and then you got Rembrandt looking at us. That's the point. Rembrandt in this painting put himself in looking at you and me, looking at the painting. And the invitation to say, what do you see when you look at this story? Are you more afraid of the storm than you live in the fear of the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? It doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It's the exact opposite. It's to have the awe, the peace, the understanding that he who began a good work will bring it to completion in your heart, in this cosmos. My brothers and sisters, what do you see today? Maybe through some stormy mist in your eyes, it's hard to see anything. I've got such good news for you. Jesus is asleep on the cushion. He didn't go to sleep on you. And he laid down and rested after he lived in your place, died in your place, was raised to sit at the right hand of the Father, from which, according to the word, he's not doing all things easy, but he is doing all things well. Will we trust him? Whatever your storm is, what, it, what the diagnosis that came in, the, 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 the fear of, of losing things and forgetting where you are, proximity of life, uh, kids that are no longer rising up and calling you blessed if they even ever did. Uh, I don't know what storm looks like, but I can tell you what Jesus is. He's with you and he's for you. Will you pray with me?